Section 28 of The Underground Railroad, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Underground Railroad, Part 5. By William Still. Section 28. Portraits and Sketches. Charles D. Cleveland. Part 2. It is impossible for us now to realize what revenge this class dealt to my father for twenty-five years. Consider their power of revenge. They could not force a loss of property or of life, it is true. They made no open assault in the street. Their delicacy held itself above common vituperation. But they wielded a greater power than all these over a man whose every accomplishment made him their equal, and they used it without stint. They doomed him to the slow martyrdom of social scorn. They shut their doors against him. They elbowed him from every position to which he had a wish or a right, except public respect, and they could not elbow him from that unless they pushed his character from its poise. They cut him off from every friendly regard, which would else have been devotedly his, on that level of educated life, and limited him to solitary confinement within himself. They compelled him to walk, as if under a ban, or an anathema. Had he been the leper in Syrian deserts, or a disciple of Jesus among Pharisees, he could not have been more utterly banished from the region of homes and self-constituted piety. They showered ineffable contempt upon him in every way, consistent with their littleness and refinement. Slight, sneer, insult, all the myriad indignities that only good society can devise. These were what my father received in return for his love and his work in love. How little personal relation all this obloquy bore to him. Let this stand as evidence that he not only continued his work, but daily gave it more caustic energy and wider scope. As I have hinted, he did not, in political matters, give in his adherence to that class of abolitionists who, as he thought, threw away their best chances of success in refusing to work within constitutional provisions. He was prouder that this single community should call him abolitionist, though it spat the word at him, and if the whole earth should hail him with the kingliest title. But he loved the name too well not to make it stand for some practical fact, some feasible and organized effort. He believed that our national constitution did, indeed, hold many compromises with slavery, but was framed in the majority of its provisions, and certainly in the totality of its spirit in the interests of freedom, and that it only needed enforcement by the choice of the ballot-box to bring the South either to an amicable or a hostile settlement of the question, which he did not ask or care. The duty of the present could not be misread. It was written in the vote. With these views he gave much time and work to organizing in this state. The National Liberty Party, in 1840, and to securing from Pennsylvania some of the seven thousand votes that were cast for john g burney in that year throughout the union 
by the time another election came the party had swelled its numbers to seventy thousand to contribute his share towards this success tract after tract address after address were written and sent broadcast meetings were convened committees formed resolutions framed speeches made petitions and remonstrances sent public action fearlessly sifted and criticized in short because he held a steady faith in men's humane promptings when ultimately reached he cried aloud to them by every access and spared not to call them from their timidity and time-serving to manly utterance through the ballot-box of such appeals his address of the liberty party of pennsylvania to the people of the state issued in eighteen forty four may stand as a sample it is a vivid portrayal of the slave power's insidious encroachments and of its monopolized guidance of the government it gathers up the national statistics into groups shows how new meaning is reflected from them thus related that all unite to illustrate the single fact of the south's steady increase of power her tightening grasp about the throat of government and her buffets of threat to the north when a wheedling palm failed to palsy fast enough it warns northern voters of the undertow that is drawing them and adjures them by every consideration of political common sense not to cast their ballots for either of the pro-slavery candidates presented the conclusion of this address is as follows our object and now fellow citizens you may ask what is our object in thus exhibiting to you the alarming influence of the slave power do we wish to excite in your bosoms feelings of hatred against citizens of a common country do we wish to array the free states against the slave states in hostile strife no fellow citizens but we wish to show you that while the slave states are inferior to us in free population having not even one half of ours inferior in morals being the region of bowie knives and duels of assassinations and lynch law inferior in mental attainments having not one-fourth of the number that can read and write inferior in intelligence having not one-fifth of the number of literary and scientific periodicals inferior in the products of agriculture and manufactures of mines of fisheries and of the forest inferior in short in everything that constitutes the wealth the honor the dignity the stability the happiness the true greatness of a nation it is wrong it is unjust it is absurd that they should have an influence in all the departments of government so entirely disproportionate to your own we would arouse you to your own true interests we would have you like men firmly resolved to maintain your own rights you would have you say to the south if you choose to hug to your bosom that system which is continually injuring and impoverishing you that system which reduces two millions and a half of native americans in your midst to the most abject condition of ignorance and vice withholding from them the very key of knowledge that system which is at war with every principle of justice every feeling of humanity that system which makes man the property of man and perpetuates that relation from one generation to another that system which tramples continually upon a majority of the commandments of the decalogue that system which could not live a day if it did not give one party supreme control over the persons the health 
the liberty, the happiness, the marriage relations, the parental authority, and filial obligations of the other. If you choose to cling to such a system, cling to it. But you shall not cross our line. You shall not bring that foul thing here. We know, and we here repeat it for the thousandth time to meet, for the thousandth time, the calumnies of our enemies, that while we may present to you every consideration of duty, we have no right, as well as no power, to alter your state laws. But remember that slavery is the mere creature of local or statute law, and cannot exist out of the region where such law has force. It is odious, says Lord Mansfield, that nothing can be suffered to support it but positive law. We would, therefore, say to you again, in the strength of that constitution under which we live, in which nowhere countenances slavery, you shall not bring that foul thing here, you shall not force the corrupted and corrupting blood of that system into every vein and artery of our body politic. You shall not have the controlling power in all the departments of our government, at home and abroad, you shall not so negotiate with foreign powers as to open markets for the products of slave labor alone. You shall not so manage things at home as every few years to bring bankruptcy upon our country. You shall not, in the apportionment of public monies, have what you call your property represented, and thus get that which, by no right, belongs to you. You shall not have the power to bring your slaves upon our free soil, and take them away at pleasure nor to reclaim them when they, panting for liberty, have been able to escape your grasp. For we would have it said of us, as the eloquent current said of Britain, the moment the slave touches our soil, the ground on which he stands is holy and consecrated to the genius of universal emancipation. Thus, fellow citizens, we come to the great object of the Liberty Party, absolute and unqualified divorce of the general government from all connection with slavery we would employ every constitutional means to eradicate it from our entire country because it would be for the highest welfare of our entire country we would have liberty established in the district and in all the territories we would have liberty of speech and of the press which the constitution guarantees to us we would have the right of petition most sacredly regarded we would secure to every man what the Constitution secures, the right of trial by jury. We would do what we can for the encouragement and improvement of the colored race, and restore to them that inestimable right of which they have been so meanly, as well as unjustly, deprived, the right of suffrage. We would look to the best interests of the country, and the whole country, and not legislate for the good of an oligarchy the most arrogant that ever lorded it over an insulted people. We would have our commercial treaties with foreign nations regard the interests of the free states. We would provide safe, adequate, and permanent markets for the produce of free labor. And when, reproached with slavery, we would be able to say to the world, with an open front and a clear conscience, our general government has nothing to do with it, either to promote, to sustain, to defend, to sanction, or to approve, thus fellow citizens you see our objects you may now ask by what means we hope to attain them we answer by political action what is political action it is acting in a manner appropriate to those objects which we wish to secure through the agency of the different departments of government the only way in which we can act constitutionally 
is to go to the ballot-box, and there, silently and unostentatiously, deposit a vote for such men as will do what they can to carry out those principles which we have so much at heart. Come, then, men of Pennsylvania, come and join us in this good work. Join us to use such moral means as to correct public sentiment throughout the region where slavery exists, and to oppress upon the people of the free states a manly sense of their own rights. Join us to place just men in our public offices, men whose example a whole people may safely imitate. Join us to free our general government from the ignominious reproach of slavery, to restore to our country those principles which our fathers so labored to establish, and to hand these principles down afresh to successive generations. It is the cause of truth, of humanity, and of God, to which we invite your aid. It is a cause of which you never need to be ashamed. Living, you may be thankful, and dying, you may be thankful, for having labored in it. We have, as co-laborers with us, the noblest allies that man can wish. Within, we have the deepest convictions of conscience, the clearest deductions of reason, and, all over the world, wherever man is found, the first, the most ardent longings of the human soul. Without, we have the happiness of nearly three millions of the human race, the honor, as well as the best interests of our whole country, and the universal consent of all good men whose moral vision is not obscured by the mist of a low, misguided selfishness. While we seem to hear, as it were, the voices of the great and the good, the patriot and the philanthropist, of a past generation, calling to us, and cheering us on, but, above all these, and beyond all these, we have with us the highest attributes of God, justice, and mercy. With such allies, and in such a cause, who can doubt on which side the victory will ultimately rest? May he who guides the destinies of nations, and without whose aid they labor in vain that build, so incline your hearts to exert your whole influence to place in all our public offices just and good men, that our country may be preserved, her best interests advanced, and her institutions, free in reality as in name, handed down to the latest posterity. Is not the love of God and man ingrained in every line of this writing? Yet, let us see how it was received by the most Christian body in this city. End of section 28. Recording by Greg Giordano. Newport Ritchie, Florida.